Welcome back everybody to the Uncensored CMO. Now, a few years ago, I came across a really inspiring book called How to Write a Newsletter. Now, I know, I know that doesn't sound particularly exciting, but actually what I discovered in this little book was some very powerful business advice and uh, some wonderful direction on the importance of communication and building your community, as it were, around uh, a newsletter which uh, actually transformed the business of the person writing the book. So it's wonderful that a few years later I get to meet David Hyatt from Hyatt Denim Company who has started out working for Saatchi and Saatchi. Uh, in fact, he worked for the legendary Paul Arden, who wrote my favourite book of all time. But he then went on uh, with his wife to found Howie's, the fashion brand, and then uh, over time sold out that and then created Hyatt Denim. Initially to save the jobs of 400 people in Cardigan, West Wales, who were made redundant when the UK's biggest jeans factory shut down. So I want to catch up with David and find out what it's like to found a business and what he's learnt on that journey and David is one of the most fascinating people I've ever met he's full of truly inspiring stories and so much wisdom from having kind of invented and grown uh, a number of brands in fact and, and today running uh, a very successful jeans company that's impacting other businesses around the world in addition to this David also created uh, what's known as the do lectures which is kind of like a TED burning man kind of you know alternative but from a cow shed in West Wales as he describes it which has been a very inspiring a series of lectures getting some of the greatest minds together to share their wisdom this is a great episode I love talking to David really inspiring guy you're going to really enjoy the stories he tells so without further ado let's get on and uh, meet David Hyatt Hyatt Denim Company now, the first thing, David, I should probably say is, how do I say it? Well, I mean, I say like Hyatt, but I mean, like a lot of people say it different to me. So if there's a right or wrong, I don't really care. I mean, as long as I say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. And where did the name come from? Tell me how it's, you came up with the name. Yeah, the, the name, like, basically, my, my surname is Hyatt, but it's got so many vowels in it. It's like ridiculous. So I spent the entire adult life spelling it. And I thought, well, actually, with the jeans company, maybe we make it a little bit simpler, but still hard. So the first two initials are from our surname, and then the second two are from the word utility. So it was Hayut. Uh, that was that was the theory of making it life easier. And I've been spelling that name ever since. Do you mean, it's like, how, it's like, how do you say it? How do you spell it? And and, and if you well, actually spell it, it, it wrong, it's like a French lingerie brand. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> so some handy misattribution there goes, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. goes a long way. That's brilliant. Where's I, I, interesting. I first came across you actually. I was working for a very short period of time for the founder of Brewdog, James Watt, who okay. I don't know if you know this was a big fan of your book about oh, newsletters. Really? Yeah, and he, he put a copy on my desk. And he said, "You got to read this." But I'm just going to tell you, it is not really about newsletters, <laughs> which I thought was. Right. He said it's it about is. how to run a business. But take take me back to the where did it all start for you? What inspired you to basically create a denim brand? I mean, it, it's a. I'll do it like a speed. I mean, I was just, as a kid, fascinated by sports brands. And so my bedroom was covered in posters. And, and there was two rules. We had to see the door handle to know how to get out of the room. And you, know, and you couldn't do the windows. But everything else was fair game. And so I was obsessed. I mean, I would dress, you know, like with a tie on it as a 13-year-old kid. I'd go to all these sports shows and I'd like wing my way in. And I, I wasn't allowed on any of the big posh stands like Adidas or Nike, but I still got in. And I'd go home with two like, like carrier bags of like, like brochures and stickers. I was just like, I didn't even know what I was doing. And, and at 14, I was like doing these reports, sending them to like sports companies going, if you don't do this, they're going to go out of business. And they would say, hey, well, come up and, and show us. And, and I'd turn up and I was like 14. And they're going, are you, are you David Hyatt? I'm going, yeah, we thought you might be a bit older. And I'm going, oh, no, I got Dave released from school. So I was kind of doing this. So I get all free product from all these amazing brands. So I was always into it. And then I persuaded my dad, mostly my mum was like free spirit anyway, but to not do A-levels and go and start a sports brand. And within six months, I was out of business. And, and I remember this conversation, like my dad said, like, well, let me 500 quid. He didn't have much money. And that was half his savings. So, wow. so it was kind of important that that actually worked. But he said, well, what did you learn from it? And I said, I learned, dad, that I really loved it. And he said, the next important lesson is to learn how to be so good at it, you can keep doing it. 
And then I just went, yeah. And then I went to college. I, well, I did my A-levels in a year. Went to college. Had too much fun. Way too much fun. Got thrown out. And I was doing advertising and marketing studies. And I, and I was just so busy doing other stuff uh, other than the, the lessons. And then a year and a half on the dole. 150 interviews trying to get a job as a copywriter. Couldn't spell. Didn't know what any grammar was, even though I went to a grammar school. And you know, like I somehow managed to get a job at Saatchi and Saatchi at 21 years of age. Couldn't spell. Poor grammar. But loved ideas and loved brands and... And in a way, I was kind of raised by wolves at Saatchi's. There were so many talented people. And, and there were so many talented people that actually had time for you. And they could see that we were keen, but we didn't have much talent. So we kind of worked on talent. Do you mean? And, but the interesting thing was that Louis Dreyfus, who was CEO of Saatchi's, he came in one day and he was already cool. I think he was going out with Kim Bassinger. He wore jeans. He smoked a cigar. <laughs> wow. And he came in and he said, I'm going to buy Adidas. And I'm going... Not only did I think you were the coolest guy ever, you know, before you just said that, but now you are officially the coolest. And he did. He went and bought Adidas. And, and I don't know what happened between the brothers. Something happened, but they all fell out. And, and lo and behold, even though I spent six months pitching for it with amongst everybody else as well, it was we didn't win the business. And the next week I took a 20 grand pay cut to go and work for the, the company that did win it. And... So I was just chasing stuff that was interesting to me as opposed to just money. And and then I, yeah, I went to a, a company called Liga Stellini, wrote tons of Adidas ads, didn't get almost anything through. But I had this collection of thoughts and a voice. And I, I went and started you know, with Claire, my wife, when I started Howie's. And we really didn't know anything about running a business. Like, just because you're a copywriter doesn't mean you actually know how to run a business and cash flows and all crazy stuff. And, and you know, we started in 95 and we had our first paycheck in 2001. And Oh, really? Wow. How did you survive that period of time then? That's a long time to... I was overly highly paid copywriter. And I, was, I had this child called Howie's and I kept feeding it and feeding it with every spare penny I had I I was I was on a ton of money I'd never been so skinned in all my life but we loved it and we did it and it was real life and we were like literally going to build this thing we had no marketing money and yet when we finally got back to Wales and we did it it was growing so fast and my naivety was going hey let's go and grow it faster which meant it needed more money and now in the benefit of hindsight, I go, hey, let's put the brakes on this. If we want to keep hold of it, we have to slow it down. And in, rather than slowing it down, I was like literally speeding it up. I was going, man, this thing is going to go faster. And we we're already growing at three, four hundred percent a year. It was just like, and we didn't have any, anyone in the company who actually done the job before. We were all L plates. And yet, I mean, when we went out, we said, oh, right, actually, we need to raise some money. So look, Eskom gets some money and some knowledge. And we put word out there and like really soon, all these companies came to us and we want to buy it. And you go, really? And we had, you know, like Japan's richest guy going, I'm interested. And Steve Case, who started AOL, who went on and buy, bought Zipcar. You know, he wanted to do it and offered us 25, 30 million dollars to move to California. And we just got a cardigan. Do you mean? So it was like, and we'd never been to California. We didn't know it was sunny there, more sunny than cardigan. And then, you know, companies like, PPR, um, Gucci and Yves Saint Laurent and Puma, we're now called Karen. They said, you know, there's two brands in the world they want to buy. One is Quicksilver and one is Howie's. And I'm going, wow, we, we must have done something kind of interesting. And we, we ended up selling to Timbaland. And I said, no disrespect to Timbaland, it didn't work out. But it was kind of, it was just wrong timing for everybody. We'd, yeah. we've, we all felt like we'd half completed the mission. So we were kind of beating ourselves up for not having the confidence to go full on at it. And, you know, we valued our independence and we didn't know how much we did value it. And I think that was kind of interesting. And so we end up like, even though we signed a 12 year contract to stay and, you know, we were part of it. And Oh, did you? Wow. And so we kind of went, hey... And I'll tell you, this is a really personal story is like my dad was merchant Navy electrician. In the summer, we'd go in the street, the entire street would play cricket, right? So like my mates would come and knock the door and ask my dad to come out and play. And so we made like stumps, so I could sit on the, the concrete. I mean, like it was, the whole street was playing cricket. We would have chips, we'd get, we'd get the chips out, blah, blah. 
he'd get a call and said like, hey, you know, Mr. Hyatt, you've got to come back to see. And then I wouldn't see him for three months. I wouldn't see him for six months. And I, I vowed at that point, I mean, like, you know, like, you know, you know, I'm there going, oh my God, my dad's not around. And I'm feeling like super low. I was going, nobody's going to ever give me the call. Nobody's ever going to tell me where to go. So in effect, I'm literally unemployable. And I have to be a founder because otherwise I just, nobody's going to put up with me. Because if you make a call to me, I'm going to, I literally just going to go, hey, yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit. I don't, I'm, I'm in charge of my time and you're not in charge of my time. And, yeah. and one of the successes of life can be you being in charge of your time. That's a metric. That's a great metric. It so is, isn't it? Yeah. It's really interesting as you as you told your early story about Saatchi and Saatchi because your copywriting and your love of how you say things and, and precision really comes through in everything actually. Just I mean, it, I just noticed the little details like when I look, you know, go onto the website and um, it's you say last year we made ten thousand and one jeans or something. Just the little one in there, I thought was fascinating, you know, yeah. rather than a round number. But I think words are beautiful, and and I think people. I mean, the reason like. Nike beat Adidas, and, and they shouldn't have done Adidas, all, all the history and all the money. But Nike were able to emote. Um, they were ma- able to make you feel something. And, and Adidas were trying to sell you on, you know, this leather boot is the best leather. And Nike were telling you about the dream. And, and you know, like, you know, sure, Adidas have got better now and stuff. But, like, you know, Nike put a set of words together to make you feel something as a human being. And, and for whatever reason, Adidas couldn't put those words in the right order. Well, that struck me in your book on purpose, of course, didn't it? That, you know, make people feel something and, you know, want to change something in the world. You know, that, you know if you can connect those two things together, it's quite a powerful motivation. Yeah, I mean, I know some people are like, like really down on purpose. I mean, you kind of go in like, like, because there's always going to be a bunch of people out there who go, yeah, we're like going to, we're going to bullshit you about the thing that we don't really believe in. And so that's always going to be the case. But I've always sort of found in business, go, well, go to work and take your values to work. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why would you want to leave them at home? What kind of person is that who actually leaves them at home? And and we're we're all purpose-driven mammals or critters. I mean, we're kind of like, we're kind of like, we got to breathe. We got to take the next breath. And you go, well, my purpose isn't to breathe. You go, yeah, well, it, it is because you kind of need it, but you don't think about it that way, and it's fine. Yeah. And so that's what I found refreshing about your book because I think you know, w- w- with purpose, there's so much conversation about social purpose at the moment that people get them confused and and think that purpose is kind of you know supporting good causes or something when actually it's about being true to what you're here to do what do you believe yeah. in what change in the world you're trying to make how yeah. do you turn up how you're authentic you know how do you make people feel something as you said and and i think that's where we get lost because you know a, a brand should have a very clear purpose about what it's you know what, what it's oh, on earth to do sort of thing and 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 i think one of the questions I'm going to ask you is a lot of people find it hard to get to what their purpose is. What advice would you give somebody if they're not totally clear about that? I think, it, I mean, the answer is within. And so, and, and it's not like out there and I'm not gonna be able to tell you what it is, but you will know, it's just, you know, why do you really care about that one thing? What makes you tick on that one thing? And, and like, yes, if you look at things like Apple in the early days, they, their purpose was really about simplicity, right? So, and we all wanted a, them to win because like to unbox a computer is you had to phone a friend. Do you know I mean like, but the friend <laughs> had to be a complete geek in order just to switch it on. And so, so the, and so you go like, it, it, your purpose could be, I think this should be more beautiful and it's fine. Do you know I mean like, it's what's important to you and take that to work. And because mm. if you don't truly believe in it, like your your customer, because really communication is about transfer of energy. And and if if you're transferring the energy and you don't quite believe it, then the energy is not going to transfer completely. And so you have to get it first. I mean, Phil Knight, like Nike, I mean, if you read Shoe Dog, I mean, it's like the most depressing, heroic book ever. And it just happened to have a happy end. That book could easily have not had a happy end. But the thing mm. 
like the thing on that journey is at least he loved running. Yeah. At least he believed in running. Running's good. Like and you go, that keeps you going. And so, so in the, the like, I think purpose is really helpful on bad days because yeah. you go, oh my God, today you kick me in the shins, then you kick me everywhere else and I'm beaten to a pulp. And, and purpose is handy at that point. You go, hey, do you know what? Go and get a good night's sleep and just, we're going to go again tomorrow. And, and it's, that, that's it's. You know, you're not going to use it every day, but it's like it's like, hey, it. You know, I've got your back here. You know, it's so true. I, I, you know, I, last few years I've really got into reading. You know, founder stories, and and, and yeah. it's amazing. You're so right. It's amazing how much of the story is about challenge, failure, adversity, and it's the passion and belief in the end goal that sustains them, you know, through the dark times. And then, uh, you know, the, they almost forget to say, oh, and it did, it, and it, by the way, we're now a multi-billion pound company. It's all, yeah, yeah. it all ends well. Cause it's amazing how, how visceral it is for most founders, you know, all the challenges they had to overcome to get to where they are. And, and the thing is that people only see, you know, it's like they only see the Instagram slides. Do you exactly. Mean? And you're going, it, yeah. oh, you know, we're, we're, we're this, guess what? We weren't yeah. that for a while, long, long time. And, you Nike. You talk about marketing. You go like employee number one. Like I said, Jeff Johnson. I can't quite remember his name, but he used to write letters to the athletes when they were injured, and she would go, "Hey, are you okay? You know, how's the recovery?" And and this is marketing, right? Like it's like I'm telling you, I care about you enough to write you a letter when no one else is writing you because you're injured. Because no one wants to know you when you're an injured athlete. And so when that injured athlete bounce back stronger faster and they got to the olympics and they had to choose between an adidas shoe with some money in and a nike shoe with no money in they chose mm. nike because mm. like they showed another human being from another human being that actually hey do you know what? we're runners and, and we're good and totally and i think you know, so, like so people people forget like the the beauty of small things I totally agree. So, so talking about a small thing, to take us back to the sort of founding of, of Hyatt and how did it, because it was quite, a, quite an event that took place, wasn't there, that led to the inception of the brand? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the backstory for, for everyone is like, we live in a really small town. It's got 4,000 people, more sheep than people. But it had, and I have no idea why, it had Britain's biggest jeans factory. No one seems to know why. And it made 35,000 pairs of jeans a week for 40 years. And... And then all of a sudden in 2002, the, the, the factory gates closed, clunk, and 400 world-class makers had nothing to make. And so like, really you get a reputation and your identity as a town is we're a maker town and then suddenly you're not a maker town. And, and that can, you know, we, we can all get a bit hurt if somebody says something snarky about us or, you know, like, oh, perhaps we, we've climbed the wrong mountain and suddenly realized, oh my God, so we can lose our mojo. And, and, and Cardigan lost its mojo. I mean, it, it lost its, it suddenly was just a tourist town, just like everyone else. It was a maker town that didn't make. At the time we were still doing Howie's and then we'd left because we, we valued independence more than money. And I wrote a plan to start Hyatt Denim and I wrote it and I was feeling a bit broken from like selling Howie's, if I was honest, I was kind of like, an, we half completed the mission and it was my fault. I couldn't, I was, I couldn't be angry at anyone. So I might as well be angry at myself. So I kind of went running for a year, but the, so I wrote the plan and I put the plan aside. And then about a year later, the, you know, the, uh, the former designer with Howie's just said, Hey, why aren't you doing the plan? Well, I don't know why I want to run around the same track twice. I, I've kind of lost that edge. I've lost the grit. And, and he said, but Dave, it's not actually about you. It's about the town. It's about making sure that those skills get transferred to the next generation. So put your ego to one side and actually start fighting for the town. And I, I literally remember that phone call. And I was like, going, mm, yeah, okay. I can run around the same track twice for the town. And, and so we were in the right town with the right skills. And, but importantly, suddenly at the right time, because we had this amazing thing, this century defining thing called the internet, which meant that we could go and make jeans and sell them direct to consumer. So 
you know, the Instagrams were going to be built. Do you mean like the Twitters were going to be built? Do you know what I mean? Like suddenly you go, hey, we don't need a huge marketing budget because we've got one of the best stories in the business and we can make one of the world class jeans. And so, so we, and, and you know, I do everything with Claire. So it's like, she's really like the business brain behind everything. And I'm going, well, can we actually make the economics work? And because you're a direct to consumer, suddenly, it can work. and so yeah a great brand is a great story and we could do that we got we had the grand masters they can make jeans so we launched and we had like six months worth of orders in the first month and the thing is like factories don't actually like spikes if you build an app and you no, no they you, don't do they <laughs> if you build an app and you go to bed and you sell 20 million overnight you've had a good night's sleep and and, you, and everyone's got their app but like with factories, like you suddenly have to go and find more makers. You've got to get a bigger factory. You go and get more machines. It's it's not like it's scalable, but it's not scalable in a month. And so I quite sensibly at the time, although it was a disaster, was I decided I'd close the website for three months. Obvious, of course, that's what you do. I'd go and hire uh, a ton more people. And we get all these genes out that we are, you know, we, our first relationship with our customer is to make them wait six months, which isn't the best relationship. We did that and we hired people and opened the website back up. Everyone happy, and no orders, like crickets. And you go, right, it's just doubled our costs. And I've literally oh, taken... So you expanded capacity at this point now, do you? Yeah, to, to I've literally gone, yeah, yeah, I'm, going, it, I'm, oh, I'm no. ready, I'm ready. <laughs> Um, I'm open now. Yeah, yeah. And we've had all the we've had all the publicity, all the magazines. And hey, we've written about. And that's all gone now, right? That's all. Yeah, yeah. Like, we've forgotten. flushed that well out of the system, and you're going great. And that was a key moment for me because actually, you know, you're talking about the the like the newsletter book, and is I sat down and we're going right. Eighty percent of my effort is on social media, and I get twenty percent of sales. Twenty percent of my effort is on newsletter. And that gives us 80% of sales. Now, all I gotta do is transfer my all my 80% of time to the newsletter, and I will get the business back on track and back to thrive. And and that's essentially what we did. And I thought, well, I'll just go and I'll go and buy some books on newsletters. And, and Amazon has books on everything. Mm. You know, fly fishing on a Friday. Do you mean like? But on newsletters, he had like he had about two. And wow. I bought. And I bought, at the time, I was just going, nobody gave a shit about it. Because everyone has a newsletter, but it's kind of seen as the old school thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, you know, we, we want to be on the cutting edge of TikTok or something. Yeah, know? yeah. And that, 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 I mean, even even me, who, you know, should be better than this, you know, sort of saw, the, saw your book and thought, a newsletter? A book on a newsletter? And it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I mean, of course, it's so much more than just a newsletter yeah. when you get into it. You know, but but that's but it, really interesting, yeah. But it, it kind of literally um, uh, that absolutely got us back in control of the conversation, and and you know you, you go on like Instagram now. I, I, I think it's like when people like say you're beaten up on Instagram. I I I love it, right? I mean, they made a film on me to put me on posters. It's not like I don't like it, but when we post something and, and we post to forty five thousand people and we get one hundred likes, I'm going, what? You gotta be kidding me. And and so like everybody, every founder right now will be nodding their head and you go, yeah, you're working harder to get less of a result. And like our newsletter, we've systemized it to make all our time there, right? We have a meeting, which is the best meeting, and I would encourage everybody to do this, called Creative Breakfast. And it's 20 minutes long. It's the most important meeting of the week. And everybody has to bring one thing that they found during the week of interest. That's all. It's literally 20 minutes. It doesn't run over. And and all that stuff is put into our system, into Evernote, because we've got like, and tag, make sure you multiple tags it. And th those two newsletters, because we're running the do lectures and, and Hyatt, you go, those two newsletters are built in 20 minutes. And people go, oh, we love your new newsletter. Well, it's because everybody all week is trying to beat the next person. Like Yestin has been on a roll, right? He's been finding amazing stuff. And then, and then you go, yes, then where's your source? Because like, he kept knocking it out of the park and he's beaten everybody. And he's, and he's oh, it's Reddit. It's like a Reddit site. And I say, what's the Reddit site? Cool as fuck. And I'm going, of course. Oh, of, course. of course it is. 
so that systemizes how to do newsletters. I mean, I know other people are doing it in very different ways, and but but that the newsletters become a like that's the number one like communication tool in the company, and especially when the algorithm like turns your attention level down, it's literally turning your attention down until you pay more, and you go. You know, not just from Snapchat, Netflix. Netflix share price went down seventy three percent because the ads don't work. Yeah, because Apple yeah. took the data away. I love Apple. I've been in the behind the Mac commercial. I, I I'm a fan, but I'm to, and I, I actually agree with what they're doing. I think it's right that you know there's too much data out there for too many companies. So you go fine. Yeah, but our our open rate with our newsletter is between you know forty percent. I mean, we don't want it to go below forty percent. And, and I know that is way higher than many other people. But we we, we, yeah. we spend our attention there. So we should be better at yeah. it. Do you mean? I mean, there's real, there's real craft for your newsletter as well, isn't there? I mean, it's very interesting content as well, but you, you, yeah. you know, it's very no, carefully we, crafted. No, we spend time well on it. designed. Yeah, you can and, tell. It's not and, the afterthought. It's like the thing, isn't no, it? It's the, I mean, most, most people go like, they get to the end of the week and go, oh, we haven't done a newsletter. Or let's give it to the intern. And I mean, going back to that book story is I bought those two books and they were terrible. I mean, you know, when like a, a, a photocopy is running out of ink, and it's like, it does half the words. And I'm going, what the hell is this? Nobody gives a shit about this thing. <laughs> and yet, like for us, it's like, man, I can tell you how much the business will grow by how many you know people we're adding to our subscriptions. Do you mean? It's literally. Oh, uh, yeah. So like if Facebook used to have a number, right? So like how many new customers? Yeah. And that, that was the only number they looked at. And I, I've said this to the team. The only number that I'm really, really interested in is how many people we're adding to our newsletter. But wow, one the one great thing for me is like nobody gives a shit about it, and I'm like, going, yeah, that is my opportunity. That's that's how I could win. Do you mean? Because I actually we're getting better at it. Do you mean? Well, I suppose everyone's chasing the shiny new thing, aren't they? You know, yes. uh, and whereas you're sticking to something you know works. I can't remember who was it. Jeff Bezos. You know, tell me what won't change, and I'll build my business on that. You know, rather than what will change. Yeah, I mean, you know, attention. I mean, we're all in the attention business, and that's what marketing is is really about. But it's and yes, we all go to the shiny new tools. You go, oh, TikTok, and TikTok is amazing. I mean, like it's amazing, and you go, it's it's Billy Bonkers, and the attention is there, but. You've got to have a place where you can get that attention back to so you can control the conversation. Yeah. Because when TikTok yeah. is not amazing, and it won't be at some point, where the attention gets dialed down because they want to increase their revenues. And, and that's the yeah. game. Do you mean it's like you know, LinkedIn? You've got attention because at some point they're going to ratchet it, it down so they earn more money. And right now, it's free. Do you mean? Yeah. And, and you should go, that's, but email is literally not going anywhere. That's a really good point, actually, right? Because you're not with email. You're not at the mercy of the intermediary, the media owner, are you? In terms of when they change the algorithm or when they start charging you, or you know those things. Yeah, and there's still you know there's there's still things you've got to pay attention to. That the gatekeeper is suddenly Amazon or Gmail, and 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 that's why you have to be really like if people aren't opening your newsletter, you have to get rid of them. And as much as I love them, if they haven't opened it in three months. You know, like every time in three months, you go, hey, bye bye. And you keep moving. And because the gatekeeper of the email will mark you down otherwise. And that's the, and that suddenly that's the geekiness of it, where you suddenly go, like, you've got to get those people off your list. And, and you go, they're not opening. And they will actually mark you down because then the gatekeeper, Gmail, Amazon, whoever, will suddenly go, hey, you could be spam. And, and then you get marked down because other people are not opening. And you go, and when Wall Street Journal like spoke about the, the the renaissance of the email and newsletter, like they were talking about high denim. Doing like yeah. in a little town in West Wales, and they're going, "Yeah, this company is leading the way." And I'm going, "Yeah, I mean, love that. It's kind of mad, but I'll take it." Yeah, no, that is brilliant. I, I love it. And and how's so to get switching mediums to books as well? Because you, you you produced a whole series of books, haven't you? Based on kind of the was the newsletter book the first one did, did that spawn the no the, it wasn't the first the one i'll tell you the story behind this so when i left howie's i thought oh we're going because they, they you know, you know timbaland they didn't really you know see any merit in in the do lecture so i persuaded them to like you know get rid of that and so i took it on and 
So we spent a year, a guy, amazing top talent, uh, John Heslop, and me and him were in the shed for a year. Going, we'll go and start. We had this idea. We'll start a new kind of book company because the iPad was going to change books. And, and guess what? It didn't really. So after about a year, we just went, man, do we actually know anything about books, the book industry? And we both looked at each other going, and this was a Friday. We're going, we literally don't know anything about the book industry. We don't even know anybody in the book industry. And I'm going, well, maybe over the weekend we should decide what we do because maybe it shouldn't be books. And we'd done all this work on the do book company. We registered, trademarked it, got the whole business plan. And then on the Tuesday, we got this call from uh, Miranda, who was ex-Penguin Books. And he said, hey, have you ever thought about doing um, the do book company? I said, I'll send you a PDF. And she sent, you know, she went, hey, this is really good. I'm going, yeah, by the way, we're not going to do it because we don't know anything about it. And she said, well, I'll do it. I'm going, yeah, that's because you know about the book industry. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I said to her, I said, you won't have any problem against speakers. They'll all be like from the do lectures. And, and then she went and asked me, said, well, of course, you'll do a book. I'm going, really? So I'd never really planned. I'm not that writer who's going to, oh, let's go and write a book. And I just did it 30 minutes of a morning before I went to work and did it every morning and just gone, yeah, boom. I actually enjoyed it. It was good. Well, so what, what, she, my favourite ever business book is Paul Arden's. It's not oh, yeah. how good you are, it's how good you want to be. Yeah, and yeah. it really reminds me of that. I, 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it's because I've got a short attention span, but I read his book like on a, a very short, I think it was, I was flying from Holland, so like my 45 minute yeah, flight, yeah. and it was so inspired. It's Because in a way, sometimes saying less means more, doesn't it? Because yeah, you yeah, put yeah. more craft into, yeah. you know, bring it aside. But it really felt like that, actually, when, when I read it. Yeah, I mean, book. Paul's amazing. I mean, I like, bless him. Isn't he brilliant? Uh, yeah. And, I mean, uh, and I, he was my boss for, I don't know, seven, eight years. And, um, oh, was he? No, and, I didn't um, realise. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so, oh. yeah, I was sort of like, I think everybody's worked with him. And, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, he was a bit of a monkey sometimes. So you go, Jesus, yeah. Paul. And, uh, but, I didn't re- I didn't realise the personal connection because it, it, that suddenly makes sense to me now in yeah. terms of the, the way you think, the way you write, the way you bring things to life. Yeah, but I mean, don't get me wrong. If I see his book in the bookshop and, I, and mine's next to it, I'll put mine over his. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'll take it from here. Yeah, oh, bless him. But, well, yeah, you can just blame him. You're inspired by his book, right? Yeah. You know, that's... <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you one story about Paul. I, I wrote a, a line for a whiskey and it was in some remote part of some isle in Scotland somewhere I should know and I wrote this line it says it's a beautiful whiskey from a bastard of an island and he said did you write that and I went yeah and he went I love it you do realise we'll lose the business I'm going yeah and he's going yeah he said well if we're going to go out let's go out shining and we we did lose the business (laughs) (laughs) really I love it (laughs) but um, I love the crazy confidence that's brilliant yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, he's no, amazing. he was. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, one tip for anybody listening is like try and choose your bosses carefully. If you learn from Mavericks, it's gonna really. It won't be an easy ride to learn from them, but it will be one hell of a ride. And but if you learn from people who want an easy life, that will be a hard life for you then because you've learned. Yeah. You know, to stay in a comfort zone, and it it won't do you good in the long term it'll only help you in the short term so well i wanted to ask you about that because you know t- tell me about how you scaled the business because obviously you know you're a passionate founder you, you you love the details you you you're all over the craft i can see that and it's it's really coming through how do you build a team around you that can deliver your vision for you that must get quite hard mustn't it as you've become bigger yeah i mean it, it, it's it is hard in as much as you you, you know you want to go and find great people and and actually, you know, like if you've got a strong purpose, that will attract your people, right? So the, the tribe will come. So it's a filter. So that's important. They're, they're coming to you because actually they, their values are aligned. And, and that's important. The, the way I sort of look at things, right? Because I've got this, oh, can we go and get 400 people? Jobs Vax is like ridiculously optimistic, ambition, dream. You should, you know, wake up in the middle of the night and just feel like a fraud because you go, how on earth is it possible apart from someone else has done it? And so it, the, the thing is, then you just go, well, oh, you know, in terms of like your purpose is, well, you know, get the 400 people the jobs, but, but right now we're at 30 people. And, and so the thing for me is to go and there's other ways to the 400. And, and for me, it's like, let's go and 
you know, be the most influential 30 people denim brand in the world? What, what do we actually have to do in order to be that? Because if we are that, we will get to 31 people. And I'll give you a, an example. I mean, like Renny Rossetti was best chef, right? So, and we make jeans for him. And, but there was two years prior to him winning that award is he was a, a rainy April, had 20, 30 customers all day. And then two years later, he'd won World's Best Chef, two and a half thousand people on the wait list for the same day, but two years later. And so, so for me, it's like, I'm going, how can we be the most influential denim brand in the world that currently employs 30 people? And can we take microplastics out of jeans? Can we, can we start doing a four day week? Can we, like, what is it, what is it that we have to do in order to be influential in this world? And, and I've got like a crazy ambition. And I think it's like really good to have these like targets, not like financial ones, but like when we were doing houses, I'm going like a target is, you know, can we get Radiohead wearing one of our t-shirts? And that was the target. That was like, that was the obsession. Like it was, and then one day we switched on MTV and there's Tom York in one of our t-shirts. And you go, I mean, it's Amazing. like, it's literally incredible. And there's, I'm sure you've seen the books by B Brand, uh, you know, the Korean company does books on like Patagonia or Lululemon. I'm going, and I'm literally, we've got it framed in the factory you know, with a Hyatt Denim B Brand cover, even though they haven't done it yet. I'm going, so the intention is, we oh, are literally. Well, they haven't done it, but, you've, but that's well, what it's going to be. We literally, yeah. we have to yeah. walk past it every day and you go, right, what, how, what yeah. do we have to do? to make that happen. We we live in far west Wales. You know, we don't hang out in the city. We're not in the cool pack. Like we don't have a commute. Nobody really comes down for meetings. Let's just literally go to work and be as yeah. inventive and interesting as we can. And if we do that like relentlessly, you go, yeah. we've got a chance. Do you mean so? What I love about that is like, if you just have a financial or a sales target, you'll you'll try and get there through whatever means and you'll you'll drop your price you'll compromise your quality you'll try and do a distributor deal or something wouldn't you so yeah. what i love about that is it keeps you honest to you know to your to your brand doesn't it and also if you take care of the inputs then yeah. the outputs tend to look after themselves don't they yeah and i'm sort of comfortable with that thing of like no one really wants to grow slowly but i'm actually quite comfortable with it because what i've learned is when you really grow fast is you don't keep control of your company and and so yeah. so you go well i'm okay with like slow growth and it's fine like yeah you know, in terms of a tree like the best wood is the slow growth trees right so so we we grow slow but we grow strong and we're kind of like robust and and you go let's let's see where that can take us and, and it's fine and and you just go like just like let's come to work each day and just go can we be better today than we were yesterday because that's the great question one of the one of the ideas that I, I saw you come up with, which, which did make me smile, was the no wash denim oh, yeah. as well. And yeah. I thought, what, what a beautiful insight that eighty percent of the environmental damage from a pair of jeans is oh, not completely. the jeans; and, it's the way you wash them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And it, it, it's kind of fascinating, right? Because like, you you come up with all these great marketing ideas, and 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 I mean, you're we're sort of slightly helped by the fact that we didn't have a marketing budget, right? So that has constraint, but the constraint is actually quite a good thing. Because you suddenly then go, well, we've got to do something that's A, affordable and, and will stand out. But it, it, it happens like actually starting clubs is really inexpensive. You go, we could start one now. Like the 2 p.m. Friday podcast club. We make a badge, a quid. So, but it was born out of the, the insight, which is most brands are chasing the 20%, which is, you know, us reducing our energy impact making them jeans, making them organic cotton, taking microplastics, and we're doing all those things. So we're, so we're, we're not ignoring the 20%, but we, we also know that actually the 80% is, is the biggest change. So, and, and that's consumer behavior, and consumer behavior is really hard to change. Do you mean, like, people don't like mm -hmm. doing stuff they, they don't want to do. It's like, that's what makes us human. And so we came up with a no-wash club, and, and that, that was like, 
Hey, and there's a there's a truth to it. Eighty percent of the impact of a jeans is by you and I washing it. That's the truth. The other truth is, if you can go without washing your jeans for three to six months and you finally wash them, they look beautiful. I mean, they all those wrinkles and creases are there. They're, that's your imprint. That's how you sit. That's how you walk. That's where yeah. you put your phone. And so that is the most beautiful gene of all. And no factory can make that gene as much as they try and wash the hell out of stuff. So there's two truths there. And you go, that's that's cool. And so we then said, hey, we'll do a, a no wash club. We did some badges and, you know, like this is like low rent stuff. It's the best thing we've done. Do you mean like I was sitting? That's insane. <laughs> and people will put them in freezers and they're like air I was dry. Say, how do you get rid of the smell? Because you, you get yeah, that kind they, of smell they, off they, about they put a week, them on, you? Yeah, they put them out on the line just to air. They yeah. put them in freezers. They do all sorts of stuff, right? So, so I'm getting interviewed by the, a Guardian journalist, and and he he was sat down and he said, "Hey, Dave, three years." I went, "What?" He said, "I haven't washed them for three years." <laughs> And, but the interesting thing is, like, this is the the club, right? Once you're a member of a club, you want to then, you know, then there's a lot of people. It becomes the club. competitive, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like so house, right? And you go, oh, suddenly everybody goes to so house, right? We need somewhere more elite. Yeah. yeah. And so, like a marathon, right? So you run 26 miles. You go, then suddenly you go, oh, everybody runs the marathon. You go, well, now we need the Ironman. So the no wash club was like three months. Then we had to do another badge, six months. Then we had to do 12 months, and then two years three years and and that's the thing but you know suddenly when you work out how much energy and water and you know, like has been saved that that's much more meaningful than all the other stuff we do and, and but the other stuff seems to get the attention but the no wash club is this maverick crazy thing yeah that is it's like counterintuitive you and and actually people like who are in it i love it and they're all denim geeks june and yeah. and it, it comes back to your purpose again doesn't it you yeah know, no in terms of making a difference yeah and i think that the the purpose thing is is if it's important to you it, it, it it's almost like a watering hole for your ideas i mean it's just like you go back to the watering hole hey you know why are we doing this again okay let's go and do this and and we've had a lot of stick, right? We had a lot of hate for you know, free repairs for life. And and what happened in COVID is that everyone just went, like they didn't go anywhere for two years and they suddenly go, oh, maybe I'll, I'll just send my jeans back to Hyatt and get them repaired. So like, so we had like about five years worth of jeans arrive at the factory. Really? And, and we oh. suddenly go and so we had like, you know, just like we started when we were kind of, you know, we had six months worth of orders. Suddenly we're like two, three years worth of repairs in about three months and uh, people just go no, I can't believe I gotta wait a year for repairs you go man like if there's 48 buses at the bus stop is it's I... tricky and so now we've had a like and it, you know like to repair a pair of jeans right is we can like Paul can spend an entire day on one pair of jeans like if it's just economics you'd be going man it like doesn't make any sense we can make a pair of jeans in an hour and 10 minutes, but sometimes we can repair one in an, in an entire day. Really? So, wow. But, like, but it, what it comes back to is going, like, this is important to us. You know, and, and sometimes, like, these things cost a bunch of money, and now we're training somebody else up to repair jeans and, you know, in, inside. Because the, the grandmasters who make jeans can't repair jeans. It's a different skill. It's like go into a tennis bat factory and going, hey, can you can you make badminton rackets? You go, mm, no, it's like mm. different skills. And so, I mean, and those things, when you, you do things, that it doesn't make it easy for you to run your business because your values have to be afforded, right? So, But again, it's not that that's not something any mass manufactured gene company is ever going to do, is it? So not really. again, with your constraint, yeah. you've applied it in a very smart way. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the, the the interesting, like going back just to touch on that point of like influential and because you can be small and and have influence. Like so if you're because like think about this in terms of like if you if if there's a giant over there, you only have to be a splinter. Do you mean to stop that giant? And yeah, I, I wrote a set of words, which was one of the most boring pieces of copy I've ever written. And I've, I've written quite a few boring ones sometimes. <laughs> And it was like the journey of a carrot from Poland to Cardigan. Every left turn, every right turn, every roundabout, every motorway, every giveaway sign. You're horrendously boring. 
But uh, and we put it in the Howie's catalogue, or a shortened version of it. And that influenced Patagonia to do Footprint Chronicles. Oh, brilliant. So, so you can be huh. it, like over here thinking what you do doesn't matter, but you, you can be one of the most influential companies, you know, you know wherever you are. Do you mean you can be a company of one huh. and yeah. literally Nike can be looking at you and going, what are they going to do next? Yeah, no, the power of a story. It's funny, I, I mean, this is a little bit off piece, but you just reminded me of something else that in my in my current job, someone who used to work for would said to us, it, it, it should take four hours to write a proposal for a customer. And I'm like, oh, I've never been able to write, get to a proposal in as little as four hours because when you're pitching and, you know, you know it's, it's way more than that. Anyway, see, it got me really wound up. So I thought, I'm going to go away and I'm going to find out how long it takes till you get to a proposal. You probably remember this from your Saatchi days sort of thing. Mm. Anyway, I worked out it was 88 hours. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> to get one proposal done, right? Anyway, so rather than um, rather than actually kind of go, you know, dear, I won't say his name on the, yeah, on the yeah. show, but anyway, dear, da, 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 it actually took me 88 hours. I actually went to the effort of writing the entire story. It was a bit like your driving thing. So I said, okay, day one, I phoned up this person at this agency. Day, you know, day yeah, two, yeah, yeah. I had a coffee with this person. That, yeah. And anyway, it went on and on. It was literally pages and pages. Anyway, everyone everyone read it. And they, I, of course, I added a bit of humour in there. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the amount of times I got rejected and when they didn't like my proposal, when the cost was too much. Anyway, you can imagine the yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stories along the way. Yeah, yeah. But it just, it really left an impact because people like, Oh, now I get it. Yeah, so yeah. when I only see a proposal, like the carrot in the supermarket, I only see that. I don't see the journey that it yeah. went on to get to that point. And actually, if I only understood the journey, I yeah. would change how I behave at the, you know, in response to it at the end. Completely. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Now, we've got, you've got the do lectures coming up. So tell me what, the, what, what inspired the do lecture. Well, my first question is, how on earth do you do run a denim company and do the do lectures at the same time what, well it, uh, i mean it's yeah it's i mean and especially when your your slogan for hyatt is do one thing well and where my my youngest going dad i'm just curious are you full of shit because you say do, <laughs> yes you, you do well, one thing well, be my you, question but i toned it down a bit yeah, yeah. but i mean you know effectively you've got to build teams and and then you can do multiple things but you know essentially i see my job as building teams around you know like you know purpose driven companies and you know we were talking to patagonia early doors you know and they were our preferred in terms of with howie's but the ceo was like super keen but we just couldn't make it work because like patagonia was having a bit of a tough time at the time so they quite rightly they wanted to focus on themselves and but we were doing an awful lot like our website suddenly inspired you know patagonia's you know we were sending them sample fits and they were sending us so we had a really good relationship so they invited me to their tools camp and and they only have a tools camp every two years. 80 people come along and, and basically you're, you're taught how to you know, be an activist brand and how to go and get you know, the message out there. And I was really honored to be invited. So, you know, especially it's one of my favorite brands ever. So I'm going, oh, but I was so up to my head in the Howie's at the time. I was just going, I was drowning in a sea of unknowingness. So I said, well, I can't come, but I mean, I mean, I'll watch them online. And they went, oh, we didn't actually record them. I'm going, oh, really? Mm, I'm going, that's what, that knowledge to only 80 people. I think that knowledge might be more valuable to lots more people. So we started a thing called Little Big Voice Lectures. And it was only supposed to be like a one-off. And, and we were building websites for people. We're teaching people this new thing called Twitter. I mean, it was like, it was literally like building stuff. For, and people just go, oh, I didn't know how to do this. And, and after three days, we just went, hey, should we carry on doing this? They're going, you've got to be kidding. I love this. And they all voted going, yeah, we've got to do this. And, and then Tony Davidson sent me a text and he said, don't just stand there, do something. And I was, you know, we were at like dinner and just going, mm, yeah, okay, we've got a, a clothing brand, but actually, you know, what are we, what are we actually changing? And we thought the lectures would be a really great way to go and make that change happen. And and it was only ever supposed to be one. It was only going to be one. And and I had this rule going, unless it's brilliant, we'll just stop it. It's fine. I mean, it's not, it's a side project. It's, it's, it's not like a, a, you know, it's not like a, a big thing. It's just like a nice thing. 
and like, you know, we didn't have a website. We were getting speakers, and it was like we, starting is really hard. That's where the founders really come to their fore. It's just they just yeah. make shit happen. I mean, yeah, and we, yeah. we were then making it happen. You suddenly go, and then and selling tickets was notoriously hard. I mean, even yeah. though we were losing money on every ticket, and they're going, oh, it's really expensive. You go, oh, it should be twice the price, and. But we endured. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, and and now this will be, you know, if it, I don't know, it's in its fourteenth year, right? So, and now we sell the tickets out in a morning, in an hour, and they're really expensive. And we, you know, you know, anyone who does events will know, like, actually, you know, you do events as a break even, break even exercise if you're lucky. <laughs> but you kind of make reputation there, and. And, you know, like we've had, you know, Tim Berners-Lee going, hey, um, this is how I did the internet. And, you know, like, you know, Colin from Radiohead. I mean, so you've had all this stuff. That's incredible. And so we're in a cow- I was going to ask you. We're in yeah. a cow shed in West Wales. And, and suddenly what happens is if, if you keep going at things, you earn like your reputation by keep going. Then so suddenly yeah. then you go, well, now we get speakers going, can I speak with the do? And can we do this? And you go, uh, yeah. So... So we've got a small team, but it's a it's 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 an incredible thing, and we like as a one hundred person event, we are best in the world. I mean, like, and people come up to me. The last time we did it, they just went like, "I've been to TED, I've been to Summit, I've been to Burnham. This thing, whatever you do here, is just next level." And wow. and that was the last conversation of the last do lectures, bloody three years ago. I mean, who knew that would be the last? one? Of course, three? yeah. <laughs> well. And you're back this year, which is brilliant. Well, yeah, listen, yeah. Uh, David, <clears throat> this is a brilliant, brilliant place to end. Maybe just give a, if people want to find out more about Do Lectures and Hyatt Denim, where, where should they go? Yeah, I mean, just go to the websites. I mean, you know, just Google, you know, jeans made in West Wales or, you know, you know talks in a cow shed in West Wales. You're probably going to find us. We're probably, <laughs> we're probably going to be, gonna be there. at the end of that link somewhere. Oh, amazing. D- David, it's been a real blast. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. It's been amazing. Pleasure, pleasure. That was, that was good fun. Thank you. Thank you. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to The Uncensored CMO. I uh, hope you enjoyed that episode with David from Hyatt Denim. Uh, I found it truly inspirational. Um, if you'd like to listen to more episodes like that, please do go and subscribe. Uh, you can do that over at Apple, Spotify or Amazon. Uh, just give me, just hit that subscribe button and never miss an episode. If you want to track me down, I'm at Twitter at Uncensored CMO and also over at LinkedIn. Uh, where I'm under my normal name of John Evans, uh, John without an A. So do check me out there. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, And if you want to leave me a review, please do. Uh, It's always very valuable and helps me make this better. So thank you for listening and I hope you'll join me next time.